This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. As Wall Street waits for the Fed to make its decision on whether or not they're going to be raising interest rates again, the market's just not enjoying its day overall. The bond market's pretty strong, it seems like, across the board, but Wall Street's waiting for what Jerome Powell has to say. And it's funny because there was a report from the CEO of Chase Bank, Jamie Dimon, where he says, you know, if they make the right move, the market can move by 10% today. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one, whatever move they make, whatever Jamie Dimon's thinking about right now. But while we wait for the Fed, which by the time you probably hear this podcast, the Fed has made its decisions. There are some interesting things to talk about today. First off, in the tech industry, banned Twitter users won't return for at least another few weeks, according to Elon Musk. Okay, Boeing is in the news as well for the aerospace and defense area, where it says Boeing forecast jump in aircraft deliveries up to $5 billion in free cash next year. Yum Brands reported earnings today. And Yum Brands, the strong dollar weighed on Yum Brands, even though sales of KFC and Taco Bell rose. Okay. We got some news in the mortgage industry as mortgage demand falls slightly, even as rates slip. But Wells Fargo believes something different currently right now. Wells Fargo thinks there's going to be layoffs in the making for their company. And finally, the last thing we'll talk about has to do with Joe Biden. Joe Biden's administration is to provide aid for American families to help lower energy bills. And we'll get into how much that's going to cost the fellow American taxpayer. With that being said, I have to remind you all at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing in any companies. You're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. Your financial advisor would actually know your situation a lot better than I would. So please go talk to them before making any financial decisions. I legally cannot give you any financial advice as everything on this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, sprinkled with a few of my opinions in it as well at time in time to time as well. I do have to admit too, before I start this podcast too, I do have a small position in Wells Fargo. It's a long-term position, but it is a position that I do currently hold. This is not financial advice. Please go talk to your financial advisors. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Banned Twitter users won't return for at least another few weeks, Musk says. From CNBC, users who have been banned from Twitter for violating its rules, a group that includes former President Donald Trump, will not have the chance to return to the platform for at least another few weeks. The company's new owner, Elon Musk, said in a tweet Wednesday. Musk said the delay will give Twitter time to set up process around determining when and how banned users can return. Musk has said he doesn't believe in permanent bans and called it a mistake. To permanently suspend Trump in the wake of the January 6, 2021 insurrection, at the U.S. Capitol, Twitter had said at the time and made the decision due to risk of further incitement of violence. Musk floated the idea of Content Moderation Council shortly after closing his $44 billion deal to buy the company, which came after a lengthy battle where he tried to get out of it. He said last uh, correction. He said late last month, Twitter would not make any decisions on reinstating accounts until the council conveys. Conveys. I mean. On Wednesday, Musk gave more details about his plan. Council saying on Twitter, quote, it will include representatives with widely divergent views and will certainly include the civil rights community and groups whose 
face hate fuel violence. Musk also said he talked to civil society leaders from organizations including the Anti-Defamation League, the NAACP, Free Press, and Color of Change about how Twitter will continue to combat hate and harassment and enforce its election integrity policies. Twitter undergoes its first major U.S. election under its new ownership on November 8th. Free Press co-CEO Jessica J. Gonzalez said in a statement that the conversation with Musk was productive. Gonzalez said Musk promised not to reinstate any accounts that violated Twitter's trust and safety rules before Tuesday's midterm elections, and that the process of replatforming accounts would be transparent. Musk also agreed to maintain Twitter's election integrity measures and told the group that the staff charged with those duties would have access to the necessary tools by the end of the week, According to Gonzalez, Musk also committed to consulting with civil and human rights experts who have been targeted online while developing new content moderation standards, Gonzalez said. Last thing we'll read is his Facebook owner, Meta, already had a similar body that helps um, adjudicate and advise on the most difficult content moderation questions, including how the platform should approach Trump's ban. And then Musk, oh, we do have to read this too. Musk tried to reassure advisors on Thursday that Twitter won't turn into a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. You know, and this is going to still backfire for Elon at the end of the day. But at the same time, it will give the American consumer an idea of where a lot of these companies stand. You know, I've, I've been reading a lot of tweets and comments of people saying like, oh, if if companies don't advertise on Twitter, I don't want to spend my money there. That's fine. That's their choice at the end of the day. But it will give the American people a better idea of where companies stand when it comes to ID ideas and also where these companies stand where people want like people don't want to spend their money in certain places. It's like it's that's how things are done. I mean, there was a ban on Target of like a few years back when Target was allowing what was it like their bathroom policy had changed or something like that and people were upset about it. People vote with their dollars at the end of the day. And it's going to be interesting to see how these companies handle these situations going forward, especially with Twitter. But Twitter in particular, it's going to just cause a lot of chaos in the making. Don't be surprised soon if a lot of politicians start saying that Elon Musk is threatening free speech. And honestly, okay, I mean, there's reports too of Elon wanting to charge $8 a month for the blue verification I think it's like the button, not button, but like the blue verification check mark, I think it was, on your Twitter page. And some people are freaking out about it because they, they, they are. Don't know why fully, but Elon Musk did make a good point when he had said, he said, this company has to make money. So we got to do what we can to make money. So this is what makes Twitter become more interesting in the long term, potentially. I mean, Twitter's no longer available to trade, but if Twitter was still a publicly traded company, I honestly believe Twitter would be potentially being flooded with more investors right now because Elon's going to try to do what he can to make money for the platform, which is a thought that people haven't had for a very long time in investing these days. Continuing on with the articles, Boeing forecasts jump in aircraft deliveries up to $5 billion in free cash next year. Boeing is planning to ramp up its production and deliveries of new aircraft, propping up its forecast for higher cash in 2023, it said Wednesday. Supply chain problems and labor shortages have... Uh, stipend output and deliveries of new planes. Boeing and Airbus said last week, airlines have complained that airplane shortages are hurting their ability to add more flights. Boeing forecasts free cash flow of between $3 billion to $5 billion next year, below the $6.53 billion analysis polled by fact sheet expected, but above the $1.5 billion and $2 billion in free cash is expected to generate this year. Deliveries are important to aircraft manufacturers because it's when airlines or other customers pay the bulk of the sale. 
The Arlington, Virginia-based company said is expected to deliver 400 and 450 of its 737s next year, up from 375 planes this year. Boeing shares were up more than 3% midday trading after it released its forecast during an event held by analysis and investors at the Seattle area facilities. It's the first such public event since 2016, as a spokeswoman said. You know, Boeing is slowly coming back on track of where they need to be. They are. I mean, there was a lot of problems that are happening at Boeing for the longest time between CEOs having to step down, the plane crashes that they were having, the mismanagement of the company in general. And I've, I've said this in the past too, in past podcasts. I believe that at the time Boeing was in a lot of hurt across the board, but they seem to be getting on back on track of what they need to do, which is making planes and getting those deliveries out, which means Wall Street can look at Boeing going forward and be able to say, hey, Maybe there's going to be some profits in the making here for this company. And, oh, look at this backlog that they have of orders, and they're starting to meet those backlog of orders. So at the end of the day, Boeing is probably back. It's, Boeing's pretty much back, I feel like, at this point. Now, maybe in a quarter or two, I can officially say that fully, because there are some still concerns, like maybe they can't get parts and supplies because of the supply chain issues that are still happening for Boeing. And maybe there's a labor shortage where they can't get people to actually come to go work for them. But at the end of the day, Boeing is turning around and Boeing's, you're eventually going to hear reports of Boeing, like literally probably within the next few years, maybe a couple months, just depends on how they do. But you might hear reports where it's like Boeing crushes earnings reports. And then you'll know Boeing's back, at least for that time period. So, but onto some companies that are Having some reports coming out it says strong dollar strong dollar weighs on Yum Brands even as sales rise at KFC and Taco Bell. Yum Brands on Wednesday reported earnings that missed analysis expectations as the strong U.S. dollar weighed on its results. Revenue came in as above expectations, however, as same store sales rose at its KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell chains. Yum executives said that the consumers generally haven't been changing their behavior and that more premium menu items in the U.S. are pr proving popular. Other restaurant companies, including Mex uh, correction, other restaurant companies, including McDonald's and Chipotle Mexican Grill, have reported a pullback in spending from lower-income customers. Yum noted a similar effect in the United Kingdom, where it said its demand for KFC and Pizza Hut is lagging, largely due to higher energy costs. Shares of the company rose 1.5% pre-market trading. Here's what the company reported compared to what Wall Street was expecting, based on a survey of analysis by Refinitiv. Earnings per share was $1.09 adjusted versus $1.14 expected. Revenue was $1.64 billion versus $1.62 billion expected. See, they, they beat on revenue. That's an interesting thought right there. Net sales rose 2% and $1.64 billion worldwide. Yum's same store sales increased 5% in the quarter, topping street account estimates of 2.5%. More than 40% of Yum's transactions came from digital channels, like its mobile app. KFC reported same-store sales growth of 7%, beating Wall Street's estimates of 2%, excluding China, its largest market. Same-store sales climbed 9%. In the U.S., the fried chicken chain brought back its $5 mac and cheese bowls, helped drive domestic same-store sales growth of 2%. In October, Yum announced it's reached a deal to sell its Russian KFC restaurants to a local operator, allowing it to fully exit the country. Taco Bell's same-store sales rose 6% in the quarter, falling short of expectations of 7.5%. In the U.S., same store still rose seven percent. The Mexican inspired chain is especially uh, correction typical. The Mexican inspired chain is typically the strongest performer in Yum's portfolio. Quote: As we enter the fourth quarter, we're 
even more excited about the momentum in Taco Bell US with the relaunch of the Mexican pizza, which occurred in mid-September, Yum! CEO David Gibbs said. Pizza Hut reported same-store sales growth of 1% beating Wall Street's projections and in the same-store sales would decline. The pizza chain also has been struggling to stage a comeback for years. Demand for pizza delivery during the pandemic helped boost sales, but has since waned with people going out more again. You know, Yum! Brands is an interesting company in general. I mean, you have KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell all in the same portfolio. I think eventually, sometime in the future, I believe Yum! Brands will hit its it's peak growth. Okay. And I think the only way Yum Brands would be able to expand from that point, well, they're going to have to buy another restaurant chain. Okay. And all honestly, a restaurant chain I could see Yum Brands buying is probably Wendy's. Okay. And all honestly, I mean, think about it. They have, they have they, what they call Mexican food, which is Taco Bell. They have chicken, which is KFC. They have pizza, which is Pizza Hut. Now all they're missing is a burger chain. Maybe Wendy's is the answer they're looking for. If Yum Brands does buy Wendy's, that would make it an extremely interesting combination. That means four restaurants in one portfolio. And the, and the other thing too, at least with Wendy's in particular, there's apparently supposed to be a lot of growth with Wendy's because they're not as big as other burger joints are. But it would make it a lot more interesting to see if there was a Wendy's being involved in this as well if Yum Brands does it. This is pure speculation on my part, but out of all the burger joints or burger stocks, I guess, that I've looked at in the past, I believe Wendy's would be an interesting choice. It would be. This is just pure speculation on my part because Yum Brands, I mean, they're like we just read, they're doing okay. Not 100% okay, but they're, they're doing their thing slowly, okay? And it just seems like if they want more growth, they have to buy another restaurant. Maybe, like I said, maybe Wendy's is the next big thing they have to buy. Continuing on with articles in the mortgage area, mortgage demand falls slightly even as rates slip from recent highs. Mortgage application volume barely moved last week, falling 0.5% compared to the previous week, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association Seasonal Adjusted Index. Rates, meanwhile, dropped back down a little bit last week, but they're still near a 22-year high. The average contract interest rate of 30-year fixed rate mortgages with confronting loan balances of 647200 or less decreased to 7.06% from 7.16%, with points falling to 0.73 from 0.88, including the organization fee for loans with a 20% down payment. That rate was 3.24% the same week one year ago. The slight drop was enough to move the needle a tiny bit on refinance demand. Those applications rose 0.2% for the week, but we're still 85% lower than a year before. There are now previous few qualified borrowers who don't already have a rate lower than what's being offered today. Mortgage applications to buy a home fell 1% for the week and were 41% lower year over year. Real estate agents and home builders alike say buyer traffic has slowed to a crawl. Agents say today's buyers see no sense of urgency and some may be waiting for rates to pull back um, to pull back more significantly. Quote, apart from the ARM loan rate, rates for all other loans types were more than three percentage points higher than they were a year ago. These elevated rates continue to put pressure on both purchase and refinance activity and have added to the ongoing affordability challenges impacting the broader housing market as seen in the deteriorating trends in housing starts and home sales, said Joel Kahn, an MBA economicist. Mortgage rates started this week slightly higher again, according to Mortgage News Daily. 
you know what's interesting is they're saying like oh yeah it just fell down slightly like we just like we just read okay and that's fine they can report that if they want but banks are actually going to give you a better idea of where things are really are at right now okay because this is from wells fargo now okay says, Wells Fargo's mortgage staff brace for layoffs as U.S. loan volumes collapse. It says here from CNBC, mortgage volumes at Wells Fargo slowed further in recent weeks, leaving some workers idle and sparking concerns the lender will cut more employees as the U.S. housing market slumps deepens. Correction, it says the U.S. housing slumps deepen. The bank had about 18,000 loans in its retail organization pipeline in the earlier weeks of the fourth quarter, according to people with knowledge of the company's figures. That is down as much as 90% from a year earlier when the COVID pandemic-fueled housing boom was in full swing to the people who declined to be identified speaking with internal matters. The U.S. housing market has been on a roller coaster in recent years, taking off in 2020 thanks to easy money policies and the adoption of remote work and slowing down this year as the Federal Reserve boosted rates. Home buyers have been squeezed and the, and the pace of refinancing has plummeted as borrowing costs surged more than 7% for a 30-year loan from about 3% a year earlier. And rates may climb further as the Fed is expected to boost its benchmark rate again Wednesday. And continuing on the article says, the situation has pressured home loan industry, particular firms like Rocket Mortgage that thrived on loan refinancings as expected to lead the consolidation amount new, new or non-bank players that rushed to, to serve customers after most US banks receded from the market. Among six U.S. banks, Wells Fargo has historically been the most re reliant on mortgages, but that has begun to change under CEO Charlie Schaaf, Scharf, I think it is, who has said that the bank is looking to shrink this business and focus primarily on serving existing customers. And then this is interesting, too. It says, in October, the bank warned investors that the housing market could slow further after saying that, more, that mortgage organizations fell nearly 60% in the third quarter. Quote, we expect it to remain challenging in the near term, CFO Mike uh, Santo Massimo told analysis on October 14th, it's possible that we have further decline in mortgage banking revenue in Q4 when organizations are seasonally slower. Employers are on edge after their bank began cutting workers in April and international projections point to more departures. Local news outlets have reported when Wells Fargo offices have been required to disclose impending job cuts in municipality. The ranks of mortgage loan officers who mainly earn commissions from closing deals is expected to drop to under 2,000 from more than 4,000 at the start of the year, according to one of the people. Many salespeople have closed a single loan in a recent week, the person said. This is crazy. This might be the start. I mean, now this might be making a little bit more sense, potentially, with some of the banks that we've read. Like, I think we read about, what was it? Credit Suzy, was it, from Switzerland that wasn't doing well? Maybe this is where the banks don't start doing well. Now, granted, Wells Fargo did do well last quarter when they reported earnings. We do have to admit that. Listen to that podcast, I believe, that we talked about about Wells Fargo. If, if not Wells Fargo, it's other banks we have talked about for sure. But this might be a red flag for Wells Fargo this coming quarter if there are more layoffs coming, which also means, does that mean a recession's coming technically too? Or are we already in the recession and just more jobs are being lost right now. It's hard to tell. I had read a report the other day that said that things were okay overall, but it's hard to believe that, especially now that, I mean, you had one article you just read that said like, oh, mortgage rates had a small decline. And then you have Wells Fargo that's saying like, no, there's going to be layoffs happening. Which one are you going to believe at the end of the day? I believe the bank will tell us fully. Okay. Especially 
at the end of this quarter when they have to report earnings, if they don't do well in their housing segment, then we'll know who to believe at the end of the day. This is why it's interesting to see how one news article come up at 7 a.m. and say like, oh yeah, the housing market's doing fine. And then another article comes out a few hours later and it says there's layoffs about ready to happen at Wells Fargo because there's people not working as much. Man, these are some interesting times across the board. And all honestly, housing market, I don't know how where it's going right now currently. It just doesn't look promising across the board though. But something that does not look promising either there's a probability that more money's going to get printed from the Joe Biden presidency. It has nothing to do with Ukraine. In fact, it has to do with heating your home this coming winter. From the politics side of CNBC, the Biden administration to provide over $13 billion in aid to help American families lower energy bills. From CNBC, the Biden administration is providing over $13 billion in aid to help lower and moderate income Americans lower their energy costs, including grants to pay electric bills, as well as other incentives to make energy efficient upgrades to their homes. Vice President Kamala Harris plans to announce the new initiative while visiting a sheet metals workers training facility and Union Hall in Boston later Wednesday, a senior administration official told reporters in a call Tuesday. The announcement reflects the administration's efforts to lower energy costs amid extreme temperature shifts from climate change. Under the initiative, the Department of Health and Human Services will release $4.5 billion in low-income home energy assistance program funding, which helps pay energy bills and energy-related home repairs for families. The amount will include $100 million from President Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law and $1 billion in emergency funding that the administration requested earlier this year, the official said. Quote, we know that winter heating bills account for the largest share of low-income households, home energy needs, so it is imperative that the funds research household as efficiently and effectively as possible, the official, the official said. The Biden administration will also provide roughly $9 billion of help low and moderate income families lower energy costs by making energy efficient upgrades to their homes. The funding will help, um, well, correction, the funding will help up to 1.6 million homes, including installing 500,000 heat lamps. Under the bipartisan infrastructure law, an estimate 700,000 homes will be weatherized due to revised weatherization assistance program, putting the administration on track to reach its goal of weatherizing 2 million homes, according to the White House. Quote, in sum, these programs will make the cost savings upgrades more accessible for low and moderate income families as states gain momentum towards deploying at least 12 million heat pumps by 2030, the White House said, according to a statement. Harris has traveled all over the country the past several months to promote the administration's economic priorities under the Inflation Reduction Act, which I think is a scam, by the way. That's just my opinion, though. And more than $300 million from the initiative will be invested in the state of Massachusetts. This what gets me worried, okay? In the UK, they were trying to help lower energy costs as well, and I think that's starting to backfire. I don't have evidence on that, but I mean, if you're incentivizing companies by saying, hey, we're passing this bill to help lower energy costs. Wouldn't that just mean energy prices are eventually just going to go up too in the long run? And honestly, it's like when you make college affordable for everyone and they just keep raising tuition prices. You know, this, this is all, I mean, granted, this is all politicians do in general. Is they just continue to spend money. I mean, there have been reports where Last year was the biggest tax inhaul of government, and yet they spend way more than what came in, okay? I think the government needs to get regulated heavily. I think the people in the United States need to regulate their representatives, and all honestly. I mean, you can't just keep printing money, and you can't just keep spending money you don't have and expect to have a successful country in the making, and all honestly.
I mean, I, I get that people are going to get cold this winter. I totally get that. And there's already solutions on what they could have done for this energy crisis in the making. And I've been saying it this entire time on this podcast, you got to make energy more affordable. Then we got to be able to drill more. Restart Keystone Pipeline potentially too, Joe Biden. That could be a good incentive too. Hey, in fact, too, that would improve job numbers for you across the board too, because it means jobs would be coming back too. But he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to have oil in the United States. But funny thing is, there was an article or, or a video, I guess, from, I think his name is John Stolsel the other day, where he was investigating the effects of green energy and climate change and electric vehicles and all that stuff. And it was interesting. I don't know how true this is and something I want to look into a little bit more, but he had said in the video that if you were to eliminate oil and gas, at least from the electric side, do you know how much you would really get rid of for energy use? It was like 10% or something because oil still touches way too much of our lives, okay? Think about it. Look in your room right now, okay? There's probably something in your room right now that you're, as you're listening to this podcast, that was made from oil. Like for instance, your iPhone. If you are listening on an iPhone or Android, that's for sure made from oil because you have to mine the minerals to get out of the earth, right? To make the product and services, the glass on the phone, all that stuff, right? Even your glass, the glass windows in your house as well. Oil touches way too much in all honestly, okay? And if we went cheap energy for people, we got to potentially get more oil out of the ground and we got to start allowing the market to do its thing because in all honestly, the more government gets involved, the more it's just going to screw things up. I mean, I'm expecting energy prices to rise now for people's homes now that they're trying to pass this $13 billion bill in the making. It's just going to cause energy prices to go up. So we're going to have a lot of fun in the making with more energy issues in the making. Maybe that's going to cause more rolling blackouts too in the future. Or maybe people will stop using energy. It's not funny to think about. I don't know why I laughed there. But it's going to be a lot of chaos in the making. Really will be. So... Yeah, fun times with the energy markets. Energy markets keep becoming more and more interesting. And the more the government tries to do their thing, the more it's just going to cause more chaos in the making. So I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. As every like and subscription helps grow this podcast. So we'll be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street that Wall Street isn't always willing to willing or being willing to talk about. Please also continue to share with friends or family as you guys are continue to help grow this podcast. And uh, we're able to get the word out there about this podcast overall. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you. Goodbye.